Boraway Army and fellow music fans, I'm Kayla. And I'm Bethany, and we're the hosts of Standing BTS from the Consequence Podcast Network. We're a bi-weekly show that covers the impact and legacy of K-pop group BTS. We mix the perfect blend of research and fangirl as we take a deep dive into lyrics during album reviews, theorize over music videos, and keep up with their current events. No BTS topic is off limits. We welcome everyone into the conversation, whether you're a casual fan, committed ARMY, or someone who's just curious about one of the biggest music groups in the world. Come chat with us every other Thursday with a new episode wherever podcasts are found. I'm Kyle Meredith, and I host an interview series called Kyle Meredith With, where I talk to legendary musicians, up-and-coming artists, and whatever that is in between. I dive deep into the making of new albums, stories behind songs, but also things like how is Moby connected with the CIA, and did the Decemberists really thank Robert Mueller in their liner notes? and seeing which band I can get to reunite. Will it be Zeppelin, Genesis, Roxy Music, or Pavement? You've got to listen to find out. It's Kyle Meredith with from WFPK Independent Louisville and the Consequence Podcast Network. Consequence Podcast Network. Still, to this day, heavy metal leans on its connection to classical music as a way to justify its existence to people who want to deny it that. Randy Rhodes's beautiful guitar playing and its direct link to, uh, let's say, Mozart, remains this thing that heavy metal can reach to and grasp and hold up and say, I'm part of the grand Western musical tradition, and you cannot deny me that. And you cannot venerate that without also, in part, venerating us. They still use blues scales. But what, what their song does is begin to sever Ozzy Osbourne from the blues rock tradition that really hemmed Black Sabbath in. Blizzard of Oz takes the genre and gives it this other evolutionary link out of that milieu. And really... That might be the point where heavy metal separates from hard rock from being like a sub style to being its own musical tradition. <laughs> Welcome to the Opus, brought to you by Consequence of Sound and Sony Legacy. I'm your host, and in this season, season five, we're riding with the Prince of Darkness himself, Ozzy Osbourne. That's right, Blizzard of Oz. Good Lord. It is 2 a.m. when I'm recording this right now. I am jet-lagged, and I'm just hearing that opening riff again, and it has me hype. I didn't even write that. I wasn't supposed to say that right here, but damn, that intro is so good. It's so good, it makes me want to punch through a wall. <laughs> Look, I intend to be the host of this podcast for a long time. And I always want to be honest with you. There are going to be records that I'm going to cover that I'll have already known by heart before I start to cover them. Records I've loved a long time. Records I've been listening to for years. And then there's going to be records that I don't know anything about. 
until I start to research them. I didn't grow up listening to heavy metal. I grew up listening to mostly rap music. Blizzard of Oz wasn't even on my radar. I knew the hits. Everybody knows Crazy Train. What Joseph Schaefer said at the top of this episode, Joseph Schaefer, fantastic music writer for everyone from Kerrang! to Decibel to NPR Music, curator of Pacific Northwest Terrorfest, lifelong metal fan. What Joseph Schaefer said at the top of this episode is one of the reasons why I now love this record. Beyond the fact that it rips, obviously. I mean, it's 2 a.m. <laughs> I'm way too hyped because it rips so hard. But there's so much more to this record. Any serious metal fan is going to hear what I'm about to say, and they're going to just deadpan the screen like, yeah, man, of course. That's why we love him. That's why we love Ozzy. That's why we love Randy Rhodes. That's why we worship Blizzard of Oz. But for everyone else like me who didn't grow up in metal, who didn't grow up on Ozzy and doesn't know how incredible this album is, this record is why metal sounds like metal today. Ozzy Osbourne is giving one of the best, most raw, honest, emotional album performances of his life. Bob Daisley's writing beyond anything he'd ever done before, all while being accompanied by Randy Rhodes' totally revolutionary idea of infusing Baroque, complex, classical music into heavy metal guitar arrangements. Blizzard of Oz is the inflection point upon which metal turned. There are countless great heavy metal albums that came before Blizzard of Oz. But anyone making a metal album after Blizzard of Oz is either influenced by it, shaped by it, straight up stealing from it, or just trying to keep up. But what impresses me most about this record is the story behind it and how it not only changed heavy metal music, I mean, it certainly changed Ozzy's career, but it kind of saved his life. So we can't talk about how amazing this album is, how it made Ozzy the Prince of Darkness, without talking about the dark place Ozzy was in just before Blizzard of Oz. Mr. Crowley, what went on in your head? Imagine you start a band with your friends in your garage, in your shithole town, because it's the only thing you can do to keep from getting arrested or going crazy from working in a factory all day. And you mess around and you jam till you get a couple of songs together. You start playing shows, and you start getting some fans, and you think, well, I think we have enough songs to make a record. And some record label gives you a little bit of money to make that record. As you go to the studio... And you record it. All in one day. In one long day, you record your album with enough time left over to head back to the pub for the last pints. A few months later, that album comes out. It shoots up the charts in the UK, does the same in America, and then your lives are changed forever. You and your childhood friends go on a tour of the world, gaining literally millions of fans and making more money than you could possibly conceive of before. You make legendary album after legendary album, defining a genre, reshaping music, all while partying harder than everyone and anyone for almost a decade. But of course, 
eventually, that party has to end. That is the story of Black Sabbath, which is how Ozzy Osbourne's career began. And if you're going to tell the story of Blizzard of Oz and Ozzy Osbourne's solo career, you have to first tell the story of Black Sabbath so you can understand what it must have felt like for Ozzy to go on that decade-long run as the lead singer of Sabbath, to change the world, literally invent heavy metal with your mates from Birmingham, England, to start from absolutely nothing together, to rise to the very top of rock and roll together, and then after all of that, be told by your childhood friends that they were going to go on together, but without you. That devastated Ozzy. It would devastate anyone. There's some debate, depending on who you ask, when you ask them, and what interview you read, over why Ozzy and Black Sabbath parted ways. But there's no debating that Sabbath, after that amazing decade with Ozzy, had hit a wall. And honestly, other bands are starting to pass them by. Black Sabbath's last record with Ozzy is Never Say Die. We're back with Joseph Schaefer, who you heard at the top of the show. Even to many diehard Black Sabbath fans, Never Say Die is a little bit of a black sheep. They sort of compounded their problems with that record by taking a then little known band called Van Halen on tour as their opener. They made the unfortunate mistake of picking a band that was just at the time much, much better than them, unfortunately. Even though I personally like Black Sabbath better as a band overall than Van Halen, at that time, Van Halen was unstoppable. And Van Halen made them look like chumps. So you've got, on the one hand, you've got this hotshot guitarist who's kind of making Tony Iommi look maybe like his chops need some work. And on the other hand, you've got David Lee Roth, who is not as dark as Ozzy, but is every bit the consummate performer and totally over the top and athletic. And they can out-party Black Sabbath at that time, too. So they're doing more drugs than Black Sabbath and playing better. It's not a good situation for Black Sabbath. All his adult life, his entire identity was Ozzy Osbourne, the lead singer of Black Sabbath, the band that started heavy metal. And now, in 1979, he's been kicked out of his band, and he can't help but feel that he's being edged out of his genre, the genre he helped create. No stranger to drugs and alcohol at this point, Ozzy went into a total tailspin. He spent three months in the Park Hotel in Los Angeles with a dealer on call. He was a wreck, feeling totally hopeless. I choose that word, hopeless, carefully, because of what comes next. You see, Sabbath was being managed by a man named Don Arden, who at the time was still hopeful that Ozzy and Sabbath would mend fences and reunite. But when the band replaced Ozzy with Ronnie James Dio, it was clear that they had moved on. And so Don Arden moved on as well. But fortunately for Ozzy, there was another member of the Arden family who still saw greatness in him. 
Don Arden's daughter, Sharon Arden. Having watched the Osbournes and having followed Ozzy's career, I think absolutely the latter half of Ozzy Osbourne's career and life is the story of his trajectory intertwined with that of Sharon Arden. In case you haven't caught on by now, or perhaps you happen to live under a rock through the early 2000s and never saw an episode of the Osbournes reality TV show, Sharon Arden, spoiler alert, uh, becomes Sharon Osbourne, Ozzy's wife and lifelong manager. Sharon Arden sees something in Ozzy, sees potential, and sort of slaps him sober a little bit, just enough to be like, you can get out of this. You're the prince of fucking darkness. <laughs> and there's, I'm sorry, <laughs> am I allowed to swear on this podcast? <laughs> yes, Joseph, you are allowed to swear on this podcast. And yes, it was Sharon Arden, soon to be Sharon Osborne, young music manager, future matriarch of the Osborne reality TV juggernaut that stormed into Ozzy's dark drug den at Le Park Hotel, cleaned him up, mostly, straightened him out, sort of, and set to finding a new band of young musicians to breathe life back into the Prince of Fucking Darkness. And the best part about all of this is that it worked. Sharon hired spotters to scout for talent around the exploding L.A. hard rock scene and bring the best of the best to audition for Ozzy's new band. After going through a lot of players and a lot of auditions, it was Dana Strum, the bassist of then-up-and-coming L.A. metal band Slaughter, who brought up a guitarist that eluded their network of scouts. According to Ozzy, he was going on and on about this guy like he was fucking Jesus. Ozzy was pretty exhausted, definitely wasted, and ready to go home. But Strum was insistent. The kid played in a band called Quiet Riot. He was the real deal, and Ozzy had to hear him play. And that was the day Ozzy Osbourne met Randy Rhodes. Rhodes was a skinny, young, classically trained guitarist, son of a music teacher, a real prodigy. But his talents were going unseen playing Quiet Riot. When he sat down in front of Ozzy, though, Rhodes played the guitar in a way that Osbourne had never seen before. Ozzy's quoted as saying that either he just smoked, quote, the greatest gear ever, or this guy really is the best guitarist in the world, end quote. Now, there still is a long road for Ozzy, Randy, and Sharon to all travel together. But it was in that moment, in that audition, that I think Ozzy was really reborn. He's often quoted to say that Randy Rhodes gave him hope, gave him a purpose. I love that. Because before that, he was hopeless. And in this young kid's guitar playing, he saw the future. He regained his purpose. And that's what's so amazing about this record. How it all came together. About Sharon seeing greatness in a defeated Ozzy. Motivated by love and faith, she pulls him out of the darkness. And from that, Ozzy finding Randy Rhodes, who brings light to his life and shines the way on a path forward. It's magic. 
Randy also found hope in Ozzy. What you're listening to is the song D off of Blizzard of Oz. It's an instrumental piece composed by Randy Rhodes in honor of his mother. Now, Randy could never play a song like that with quiet, right? But with Ozzy, he was given a freedom he had never known. And with Sabbath, Ozzy was just the front man, part of an ensemble. In Black Sabbath, Tony Iommi and Geezer Butler are the creative force. And no one else really has a say. Geezer writes the lyrics most of the time. The lyrics to Black Sabbath by Black Sabbath are Geezer Butler's nightmare. And, and Geezer Butler's a devout Christian. So Black Sabbath played with the occult, but I don't think Geezer will let them get super dark. I don't think Geezer Butler would have, would have let Ozzy Osbourne write Mr. Crowley. Get, getting him off from them really gives him license to express himself in, in this performative way and gives him license to like mine the, 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 the dark vein even more deeply. Before Blizzard of Oz, both Randy Rose and Ozzy Osbourne were working within the limitations set by others. But through Blizzard of Oz, they are given the freedom to really push themselves, each other, and their work to another level. And together, along with Bob Daisley playing bass and helping with the songwriting, they would go on to make an album like no one had ever heard. An album that would push heavy metal to another level. The fact that, that Randy wasn't a huge Sabbath guy was what made that soup work. This is Zach Wilde, uh, frontman for the band Black Label Society, guitarist for Ozzy Osbourne since 1987, and undisputed heavy metal guitar god. You know what I mean? So it, was, it, it, it was a departure enough from... It was still in the, you know, it's still in hard rock and heavy metal in zip code. But the fact that Randy was bringing in his flavors is what, what really made that whole thing click. And I mean, the whole band was amazing. I mean, you know, Bob was perfect for Ozzy. I mean, with the lyric writing and then, you know, and Lee's drumming. I mean, the, you know, the chance that, you know, you got all those guys together and they didn't never really work together before and they don't know each other. And to be able to pump out two staple classic heavy metal records, like, you know, blueprint records, totally amazing. This is what you get when these four strangers come together and are given the freedom to run. It's no wonder Blizzard of Oz is such an innovative and diverse record. I mean, just the A-side alone starts off with a song, I don't know, and from the jump, you realize you're dealing with something totally new. Well, oh, it's just amazing. And I mean, you know, like, you know, with me and my friends, we'll talk about a song, I don't know. We're back here with Zach Wilde, and I have to say, just as a side note, one of the best parts about talking to Zach about this beyond the fact that he's clearly a really sharp musical mind, is that first and foremost, he's a fan. He grew up idolizing Ozzy, worshipping Randy Rhodes. At age 19, he auditioned to join Ozzy's band, and he got the gig. And he's been Ozzy's lead guitarist off and on ever since. The way he put it to me, 
that he grew up in New Jersey wanting to play for the Yankees. And landing his gig playing for Ozzy, playing the guitar parts Randy Rhodes wrote, feels like he's wearing the Yankee pinstripes. But you know, me and my friends will talk about a song I don't know. The fact that the, the 16th notes on the A string, that dan, dan, I don't know if there was any other bands that were doing that before that happened. That became the sound throughout the 80s. You know what I mean? Having a dan, you know what I mean? Or whatever. I mean, even down to me doing Miracle Man. You know what I mean? It's, it's all just a branch off of that tree. You know what I'm saying? The record starts with a guitar riff that would set the tone for an entire decade. And then comes Crazy Train. That's insane. Which, I know Crazy Train's become totally ubiquitous in American culture, but when was the last time you really listened to it all the way through? When was the last time you listened to Randy Rose's guitar solo in the middle of it? There are these incredible moments in the solo where you can hear him bending the notes down at first and then up again towards the end. It's those little touches that make his work and this song so amazing. It's such a subtle way to add an almost, to add a surrealist distorted reality to the wildly and complex soaring solo. It isn't over the top. He could have totally pushed that bend further and it had been too much. Instead, it's those two little subtle bends that make the solo perfect for a song called Crazy Train. See what I mean? It's totally insane. You're obviously undeniably technically astounding, but at the same time, very musical. He isn't just shredding to shred. The solo serves the song. It belongs there. You can see how much thought they put into it. And honestly, for as omnipresent as it is in American culture, you can't say that it isn't deserved. Because Crazy Train, man, that song fucking rips. After the one-two punch of I Don't Know and Crazy Train, the record takes this wonderful turn. And all the technical metal prowess aside, I feel like this is where Blizzard of Oz blossoms into something incredible. You have, you have Goodbye Romance, which the lyrics are a heartfelt farewell to Ozzy's Black Sabbath years, while the music feels like it could easily slot in on a Blur record. A few small changes and it could sit nicely on The Great Escape. And then you have Randy Rhodes' classical guitar composition, D, and you round outside A with the brutal and often totally misunderstood suicide solution. And that's just side A. We didn't even gotten to side B. It starts with an ode to an openly queer, devout Satanist. And that song, Mr. Crowley, went on to become a huge hit on the radio in 1980. The whole album became a huge hit. Despite receiving little airplay when it was first released, Blizzard of Oz went on to go quadruple platinum. <laughs> it's not bad for a guy who was written off by all his friends, his band, his label, and much of the music industry just two years before. Well, written off by everyone except for Sharon Osbourne. Ozzy was right to put his faith in Randy Rhodes. The initial success of Blizzard of Oz set them both on a path to greatness beyond anything they'd achieved before. Tragically, the partnership came to an end when Rhodes died in a plane crash shortly after making their second album together. 
Ozzy is quite candid about the death of Rhodes and how it has affected him. He says he still takes antidepressants daily to cope with the loss of his friend. But the legacy of their work together would, over time, start to take on a life of its own. Not just influence heavy metal music, but all music in the years to come. However, we'll save that for the next episode, where we'll follow the impact of Blizzard of Oz on its winding paths through minor league baseball stadiums, car commercials, southern crunk rap, and so much more. (laughs) It's going to be a really fun one. I want to thank my guests Joseph Schaefer and Zach Wild for being incredible conversationalists and at the same time remaining super kind and patient in dealing with a metal newbie like myself. If you want to hear a collection of Ozzy Osbourne's greatest songs curated by the staff at Consequence Sound, check out ozzyosbourne.lnk.to. It will let you choose the streaming site of your choice and you can sink your teeth into the Prince of Darkness' entire catalog. But before you do that, you must go out and listen to Blizzard of Oz from front to back. It's a surprisingly beautiful record. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to The Opus wherever you get your podcasts. If it's Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave a rating and a review. It does help us a great deal. And tell your friends, word of mouth is always the best. And that way, you can all pick up right where we left off, Blizzard of Oz next week, and won't miss a beat. For Consequence of Sound and Sony Music, I'm your host, Andy Bachwell, and this has been The Opus. Consequence Podcast Network. The expression from the music inspired me so much to take risks, and it inspired damn near the whole rap game. Hello again, I'm Adam Unz. You may know me as the host of The Opus, and now I'm bringing my own show, The Spark Parade, to the Consequence Podcast Network. I speak with artists and creatives about the cultural artifacts that spark their personal interest and creativity, whether it's music, books, movies, video games, or any other kind of art. I've never spoke about it in this amount of detail. I'm suddenly going, oh my God, I'm blowing my own mind here, Christ. It's actually a giant part of my life. By talking about the things we love, we share and discover insights into our personality and the things that drive us. It's just magic, really. I mean, frustrating and it makes some people angry, but I don't think anyone's ever done anything like it. I speak with people like Connor Robers, Phoenix's Thomas Mars, Chris Gethard, Helen Hong, Adrian Young, and more, so their sparks of inspiration can start a fire in you. I'm grateful for those who continue to put our history and who we are as a people in the forefront and make you see it. Find the Spark Parade wherever you get your podcasts.